Community.com. Well, good morning, everyone. And technically, last week was December 31st, and even though I wish you Happy New Year, technically now, I can actually wish you Happy New Year. So, Happy New Year. Glad you're with us this morning. Um, last week, we started our series, First and Second Samuel. Uh, we read about Hannah, who was in a very desperate situation. She was married to a man who had another wife. She would have been seen as cursed or unloved uh, by God from society because she wasn't able to have children, you know, something that normal women could do. Uh, the other wife was antagonizing her and taunting her because of her barrenness. Her husband was pretty insensitive, and in the midst of her desperation, she cries out to the Lord for help. And just by way of recap, uh, it says this, she was deeply distressed and prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. And she vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your servant and remember me and not forget your servant, but will give to your servant a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life and no razor shall touch his head. So basically Hannah was bargaining with God. right? She's willing to give up her child, the very thing she wanted so badly, if he would answer her prayer. That's really how desperate she was and uh, to be validated by him. As she continued praying before the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was speaking in her heart. Only her lips moved and her voice was not heard. Therefore, Eli took her to be a drunken woman, right? To add on top of all this stuff, she's perceived to be drunk. And Eli says to her, how long will you go on being drunk? Put your wine away from you. But Hannah answered, No, my Lord, I am a woman troubled in spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but have been pouring out my soul before the Lord. Do not regard your servant as a worthless woman, for all along I have been speaking out of my great anxiety and vexation. Right? So that's where we left last week. Hannah prayed desperately from this deep sense of longing. She was praying for something that seemed impossible because, in fact, it was impossible for her. Scripture says that God himself had closed her womb. But she kept asking anyway. Right? Despite being mocked, despite an insensitive husband, despite a high priest who thought she was drunk, Hannah kept praying. And she never quit on God. She knew that God was her only hope and that that hope was very real. And that was our key point for last week, if you remember. Uh, never mind, they're doing some stuff up there. Uh, <laughs> right, a little bit of text scrambling. But um, the key point from last week, God is our only hope, but that hope is real. Like even when something is impossible for us, nothing is impossible for God. Hannah knew that, believed that, and hopefully so do we. And, and so uh, we can count on the Lord. Now, all of that kind of prompted me to think heading into this week about our prayer lives, specifically my prayer life. Like, how is it? Right? How is my prayer life? Am I really engaging in a connection with God through prayer? Like, uh, I've shared this before, but like, I'm a Bible guy. I love digging into the scriptures and digging and finding out new things, discovering, making connections. I feel like that is just this way for me that I connect with God uh, in, a, in a, a very direct way. It's meaningful for me. Some people are a little bit different, right? And prayer comes really natural and easy. And not that I don't pray, but 
That's not my thing, right? I go to the Word. But I think about Hannah praying for this impossible thing, and, and I think, would I even consider that? <laughs> would I even really do that? And yet this morning, as this story continues, we're going to see that when we turn to God in prayer, and He answers us, uh, it brings out a few things in us. It can bring out a few things in us, and we'll see that in Hannah. So we're picking up her story uh, in verse 17 this morning um, to see how things unfold. And we're going to work through chapter 2, partway through chapter 2. Uh, sorry, verse 17 is where we're picking up. So, and again, Eli is a high priest who she has come to in her prayer. And then Eli answered, Go in peace. And the God of Israel grant your petition that you have made to him. And she said, let your servant find favor in your eyes. Then the woman went her way and ate, and her face was no longer sad. Okay, so this answer from Eli is really significant to her. First, I mean, it should be said that the fact that, uh, you know, a man talks to a woman in public, that was a pretty big deal. In those days, you know, in and of itself, culturally, it typically wasn't done, or at least not often. But, but it's also significant that he answers her by stating that God would grant her request. Like, he doesn't say, may God do this, or I hope God will do this for you. He says, God grant, or possibly God will grant your request. It's like he's assuring her God is going to do this thing that, he's, that she's asking of him. Now, maybe Eli actually believed that. Right in the moment, uh, gosh, you've probably all been in those situations where you have a need, you have something going on, and someone says something really encouraging, like, oh, God's going to come through for you. And maybe the person doesn't even believe it, but they just want to say something to encourage you. Maybe Eli was just being nice to a desperate woman. Like, we don't know his intent behind the words, but regardless of whether he believed this or not, his words were prophetic, right? This was going to happen. And at the very least, Eli validates or agrees with Hannah's prayer. Uh, that's significant for her. And we're going to discover that Eli is kind of a mixed bag as far as his character as a high priest. Like, he's got some great moments, but he's got some major faults as well. He really doesn't represent God's heart the way he should, at least not consistently. But still, he is in the office of high priest and, and acting as a judge. Like he's kind of the highest spiritual authority in the land. So God uses Eli to speak for him, just like he had used many other like morally corrupt judges to deliver people from the oppressors. And I, I just, I think that's important to point out. It was sort of a little side note in where we're going with the message. But look, God can and will use anyone he wants to, even you and me, right, to do incredible things. Like, we should never get tripped up on the idea that we aren't good enough for God to use. Because the fact is this, that none of us are good enough, but God uses us anyway. Right? Every single person that's mentioned in Scripture that God works through except Jesus is less than perfect. And we're all in the same boat. We're all sinners who need to receive God's mercy and grace. 
we are all someone God will use for his purposes if he chooses. Now, that doesn't mean we shouldn't do our best to cooperate with what God wants for us in life. Right? Like if you put your faith and trust in Jesus, you've been forgiven from your sin. So don't run back to the sin that Jesus died to save you from in the first place. Seek to live the life God has in mind for you. And yet, despite our flaws, God will use us. None of us are good enough, but God uses us anyway. And so despite Eli's flaws, Eli was the highest spiritual authority in the land. He's the one who speaks on behalf of the Lord, and Hannah believes him. She believes him. Like, she appears to take his statement on faith, as if her prayer has been heard and her request has been granted. Because it says she went away and ate, and her face was no longer sad. Right? She believed God was going to do this. So verse 19, they rose up early in the morning and worshipped before the Lord, and they went back to their house at Ramah, and Elkanah knew his wife, and the Lord remembered her. And in due time, Hannah conceived and bore a son, and she called his name Samuel, for she said, I have asked for him from the Lord. Right? It says the Lord remembered Hannah. It doesn't mean he like, had forgotten her and just went, oh, Hannah. That's right. just simply means he took action in the right moment. And God did exactly what Eli said he would do. Hannah gets pregnant, has a son. She names him Samuel, which means name of God. Verse 21, the man Elkanah and his, all his house went up to offer to the Lord the yearly sacrifice and pay his vow. But Hannah did not go up, for she said to her husband, as soon as the child is weaned, I will bring him so that he may appear in the presence of the Lord and dwell there forever. Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Do what seems best to you. Wait until you have weaned him. Only may the Lord establish his word. So the woman remained and nursed her son until she weaned him. And when she had weaned him, she took him up with her, along with a three-year-old bull, an ephah of flour, and a skin of wine. And she brought him to the house of the Lord at Shiloh. And the child was young. Then they slaughtered the bull and they brought the child to Eli. Now Eli is probably, when we talk about weaning, you know, uh, we have a little different situation sometimes here in, in uh, our culture, right? Like uh, we think like, okay, well, maternity leave is about six weeks and then you stick your kid in childcare, and so they're weaned, <laughs> right? Or you are nursing for as long as you're nursing and then they're this, this process here was probably somewhere from about three to five years before she was ready to actually let, uh, let Samuel go. So she probably raised him somewhere around three to five years. He's a small child at this point, right? A very young child. And I think, <laughs> I mean, Hannah made a vow to the Lord and she kept it, but can you imagine how difficult that would be to give up your child after caring for them for just a couple of years, right? Like, uh, especially when you find out that m many of the older sons of, or the older sons of Eli, who are considerably older than him, uh, and Eli will be taking this child in, like, they're terrible individuals. <laughs> they are terrible. We're going to find that out. And that was likely known to Hannah at the time, but she had made a vow to the Lord, and she kept her promise. 
So she offers a sacrifice of thanks to God and brings the boy to Eli the high priest. Verse 26, and she said, Oh my Lord, as you live, my Lord, I am the woman who is standing here in your presence praying to the Lord. For this child I prayed, and the Lord has granted me my petition that I made to him. Therefore I have lent him to the Lord. As long as he lives, he is lent to the Lord. And he worshipped the Lord there. Now, Eli, he must remember their interaction, or at least like trust that what she's saying is true if he doesn't remember it, because his response to all this is to worship God for the amazing things that God has done. All right, so pause in the, in the story here. I want us to think about this this morning when it comes to prayer. Like when we pray, we know God hears us, right? But it doesn't mean we're always going to get the answer we want. Like there are really just a few possible answers God is typically going to give us. He may say yes. He may say no. Or he may say something like not yet or no for now. (laughs) Right? Like if we're really praying for what is in line with God's will, then guess what? The answer will always be yes. The answer will always be yes. Uh, in, In John chapter 14, Jesus said, Whatever you ask in my name, in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. But asking in his name is another way of saying, or at least refers to, asking in line with the Lord's will. And I think the hardest part is often figuring out or discerning exactly what his will is. That can be the tough part. But when our requests are in line with his will, he'll he'll say yes. He'll say yes. When it's not something that's in line with God's will, the answer will be no. Unless maybe he wants to teach us a valuable lesson. (laughs) Right? Like, example, we're going to find out later in this book, we're going to read about how the people wanted a king. And God says, you don't want a king. (laughs) And the people say, no, we want a king. And he says, okay, I'm going to give you a king, but here's what's going to happen. And the people say, yeah, we want a king. And then the bad stuff happens, right? God gives them Saul. He wasn't all that great. (laughs) So there was a lesson learned, I suppose. But sometimes the answer will be no. Sometimes the answer will be not yet or no for now. Like when God promised Abraham and Sarah a son, right? But it was decades before it happened. But here's a a key thought about the no. When God says no, or when he says not yet or no for now, it's an opportunity to trust. Right? It's an opportunity to trust. Like we have to trust that his will and his ways and his timing are what's best for us. You know, like, just as an example, it's better to trust God and wait for the love relationship he desires for you to have rather than jump into the wrong one. Like, yeah, waiting is hard. And trusting God is hard. But it's better than the heartbreak and the calamity that comes when you go against his heart. And that waiting is an opportunity to trust him. 
Okay, so when God says no, it's an opportunity to trust. But here's the thing, in, in this story, in this particular scripture that we're working through, that's really not the issue here. God doesn't say no. And he doesn't even say not yet or no for now. Hannah got a yes from God. So this was clearly in line with his will. And sometimes things we pray for actually fall into that category. So what I want us to consider for a couple minutes this morning is, is what happens when God answers prayers, and specifically when God answers prayers the way we want. Okay, Like it's in line with his will, but it's the way we want. So I kind of picked that as a, the title for today, when God answers prayers the way we want. And when that happens, I think there's at least three things that we're going to experience. And we see them in Hannah's life. The first thing that we're likely to experience is relief. Right? Relief. Like Psalm 10, 17 says this, O Lord, you hear the desire of the afflicted. Right? Maybe we're in a difficult situation and we're praying for God to answer. You hear the desire of the afflicted, you will strengthen their heart. Right? Instead of being sorrowful and disappointed and that sort of thing, all of a sudden we get some relief from that. I like the way the uh, New Living Translation says this one. Uh, it's, Lord, you know the hopes of the helpless. Surely you will hear their cries and comfort them. Like maybe you're praying for healing. Maybe you're praying for a negative test result for you or some, someone else. Maybe you're praying for a financial need. Maybe it's for a decision to go in your favor. When God answers your prayer and things go your way, your first reaction is probably relief. <sighs> oh, wow. You know, and, and I'm guessing that that was something Hannah felt right away. Right after years of carrying this heaviness of not being able to have kids and the stigma and the harassment that came along with it, I'm guessing relief was a pretty big part of her initial response. Now again, it doesn't mean God will always do what we want or hoping for, but when he does meet our need, it brings relief. The second thing is that it brings joy. It brings joy. Right? One of my favorite verses is Romans 15, 13. And uh, Paul's prayer to the Romans here is, uh, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Right? May the God of hope fill you with all joy, and he includes peace. Right? It's kind of hard to be joyful when you're not peaceful, but at the same time, God can actually provide that too. Right? In difficult circumstances, God can bring us great joy. But his prayer is that God would fill you with all joy. So we have joy in him, even when his answer is no. But how could Hannah not be filled with joy when she received the very thing she had been hoping and praying for? Right? When our, when our prayers are answered, it brings us joy. And then the third thing and um, this, is, this third thing is the thing I hope that we really take something away from this morning. I mean, I think it's easy to go, oh, relief, joy, yeah, those are important. But this is the one that really kind of stirred on my heart. When God answers our prayer the way we wanted him to, it brings us confidence. 
It brings us confidence. Specifically confidence in him. Confidence in the Lord. Like how could Hannah not have complete confidence in a God who did the impossible for her? Right? If he can give her a baby when her womb is closed, if he can close her womb and then open it again, like he can do anything. He came through for her. So whatever assurance and confidence she had before in who God was, you can imagine it just got a big boost of reinforcement. Right? And some scriptures that describe this, just two of them from the Psalms that I really loved. Psalm 138.3, On the day I called, you answered me. My strength of soul increased. Right? My strength of soul increased. Like you made me bold in my soul with strength is another translation here. Psalm 4.1, Answer me when I call, O God of my righteousness. You have given me relief when I was in distress. Be gracious to me and hear my prayer. When God answers our prayers, we experience relief. We experience joy. We experience confidence. Right? And I, see, I think we see these things come out. They're, they're, they come out in this prayer of thanks in the first half of chapter 2, and that's what we're going to kind of wrap up with this morning. Like, there's relief, there's joy, but I think the thing we most notably see is confidence. Like, Hannah has this incredible confidence in the Lord. So let's work through that this morning. So, on to chapter 2, starting in verse 1. And Hannah prayed and said, My heart exalts in the Lord. My horn is exalted in the Lord. Like, Again, relief. She's in a lot different place now than she was when she was praying before, isn't she? My mouth derides my enemies. Confidence. Because I rejoice in your salvation. Joy. Right? First couple of lines we see relief, confidence, and joy. We see it scattered throughout the rest as well. Verse 2, there is none holy like the Lord, for there is none besides you. There is no rock like our God. Again, confidence, clearly confidence there. Talk no more so very proudly. Let not arrogance come from your mouth, for the Lord is a God of knowledge, and by Him actions are weighed. The bows of the mighty are broken, but the feeble bind on strength. Like, can you imagine... Hannah praying this prayer like in front of Penina, who has just been antagonizing her for years. Talk no more so proudly. Let not arrogance come from your mouth, for the Lord is a God of knowledge. By Him actions are weighed. It's kind of an in-your-face kind of prayer, isn't it? Those who were full have hired themselves out for bread, verse 5. But those who were hungry have ceased to hunger. The barren has borne seven, but she who has many children is forlorn. Now you can kind of see a little bit of a comparison there. Now at this point, Hannah did not have any other kids. Um, but we'll see that she did have five children besides Samuel later on. So this seems to be more of a metaphorical comparison than like a reality of comparison. But the point is, 
Hannah is filled with joy. The birth of Samuel has made her so happy and proud that it's as if she was given seven sons. Right? Seven, of course, being a number that represents perfection and sons being something that does not. (laughs) Right? (laughs) But verse 6, you'll catch that later. I know, we're in a serious moment here. Right? Verse 6, the Lord kills and brings to life. He brings down to shale and raises up. The Lord makes poor and makes rich. He brings low and exalts. He raises up the poor from the dust. He lifts up the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes and inherit a seat of honor. Like, I'm sure Hannah sees herself having been one of the poor, the needy, right? That he has made rich, that was low and has been brought up. When the poor and needy are raised to a better place, a place of dignity, a place of honor and esteem, imagine the kind of relief that's going to bring. (laughs) To be lifted out of poverty and to sit with royalty, this is the kind of thing she expresses here. And then the rest of the prayer is just like more and more confidence in the power of the Lord. She says, For the pillars of the earth are the Lord's, and on them He has set the world. He will guard the feet of His faithful ones, but the wicked shall be cut off in darkness. For not by might shall man prevail. Listen, I, I'm reading this and I'm thinking, um, <laughs> I'm thinking, you know, when we are in a place of difficulty and distress and disappointment and despair like Anna was, these are not the kinds of things you pray. Right? Unless you are really, really trusting. <laughs> you pray prayers of desperation. This is not a prayer of desperation. This is a prayer of confidence. Right? He will guard the feet of his faithful ones, but the wicked shall be cut off in darkness, for not by might shall a man prevail. Verse 10, The adversaries of the Lord shall be broken to pieces. Against them he will thunder in heaven. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. Right? Now this last line is pretty interesting because at this point, Israel has no king. They don't have a king. So who is it she's referring to? Right? This seems to be very prophetic, like in the sense that Samuel is going to be the one to anoint the first king over Israel. And so when she says, he shall exalt the horn of his anointed, that would likely be referring to a descendant. The horn is often kind of referring to a descendant, uh, you know, imagery-wise. And King David, well, he was clearly an anointed king. And Jesus is, of course, a descendant of his lineage. So yeah, Hannah's prayer here is something profoundly, prophetically being communicated. Something profoundly prophetic is being communicated here. Now, it doesn't mean Hannah was a prophet, per se. But in the words of her prayer... God stirred something in her heart that was very prophetic to say. In her confidence, she proclaimed something of the plan of God for salvation. She begins to point to that, that would come through David's lineage and be fulfilled in Jesus, you know, a thousand years later. Verse 11 says, Then Elkanah went home to Ramah, The boy was ministering to the Lord in the presence of Eli the priest. Now we're going to get more 
into that next week and what happens afterwards. But just to note that right from the start, Samuel is having a strong spiritual impact in Eli's care. Right, right from the start. So, Hannah experiences relief. We hear that in her prayer. Joy, absolutely. And just this confidence. This prayer just oozes with confidence. And just as I think about this prayer, and also in regards to our prayers, kind of the key takeaway or just a key point to end with for today is this. We will never truly experience those things unless we put our trust in the Lord. Right? Like we can pray them, but if we won't trust them, we're not going to experience them. Like Hannah poured out her heart in desperation. And yes, she got the answer she hoped for. It brought her relief and joy and confidence in the Lord. When we pray to Him and He answers our prayers, we're going to experience those same things in the, in the way that we want. And He will give us some of those as well, even when He says no, or not yet, or no for now. So I want to just close our, our, our time here in prayer. We're going to sing a, a couple of more songs of worship. Um, but I want us to pray. And um, I just ask you to join me in prayer here. And then we're going to worship it. And it's going to start with the song just reflecting the strong nature of God and how faithful he truly is. So let's pray. Lord, you know all the desires of our hearts. Each of us individually as we're sitting here this morning. You know the big things. You know the small things. But help us to be seeking your heart. Your will. That our prayers would line up with you. And, and Lord, when the answer to our prayers is no, when the answer to our prayer is not yet, when the answer to our prayer is no, not for now, <laughs> help us to trust you. Help us to discover your heart. Help us to discover your will. And allow what we are seeing in you, what we're discovering in you to bend our own hearts, our own desires to match yours. Help us not to resist, not to run, not to disobey, but to simply say, okay God, I trust you. And I believe that what you have in store is best for me. And that's what I want. And when the answer to our prayer is yes, when you answer our prayer the way we want to, let it stir in us a sense of relief. Let it stir in us or bring out an attitude of joy. And let it grow in us a strong confidence in you. We know you are capable. We know you are strong enough to do anything. And we know that whatever you determine to do, you will not fail. You will not let us down. You will not leave us or forsake us. You will accomplish what it is you want. So we worship you. Just like the response when Eli saw the boy that you have promised and had done this amazing thing. 
heart responded in worship. We respond in worship. Who you are. In the name of Christ we pray. Thanks for listening to the podcast of the Portico Church in Oshkosh, Wisconsin. You can find out more about our church at porticocommunity.com. 